All right, everyone. You've been listening. You've been waiting. And now the big Rent Ready reveal can finally come to light. Rent Ready just launched rental property accounting for all landlords. Now you can easily connect your rental properties from Rent Ready to an accounting software created specifically for landlords with Rent Ready's newest partner, REI Hub. So essentially with this, you can automatically transfer properties and charges from your rent ready profile. You can track your income and expenses with matching rules and payment templates to speed up your bookkeeping. View your profit and loss cash flow statements by property or unit and get your portfolio's balance sheet, schedule ease, and more. It would be so cool to get this all in one place too. This we've been doing this on the side. Imagine yeah. having this all in one REI hub. Love it. Like that play. So uh, this is something we definitely can use and we will be using. Um, so without further ado, obviously listeners, we are very excited about this and there's something a little bit more exciting. We more have exciting a exciting than that. Yeah. Way more. We can hook up our listeners. So with that, if you're currently not using rent ready, you can sign up using our special code juice pod and get 50% off your rent ready subscription. Once you set up your properties, you can add rental properties accounting as a premium feature. If you're currently using Rent Ready, go check out the new accounting features designed to save you time and money while you manage your business. So whether you don't have Rent Ready or you do, you have access to this feature. Make sure to use our code JuicePod. That's J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D to get your access, and that is found on RentReady.com. R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. If this is your first time here, welcome. During our shows, we interview successful entrepreneurs and investors to spread knowledge, advice, and actionable tactics to help others in the pursuit of financial freedom. We discuss successes, failures, systems, motivations, experiences, and key lessons learned along the way in the hopes that these stories help you along your journey. Tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice. If you've been here before and like what you've been hearing, please subscribe, share with friends, rate, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That goes an extremely long way for us. It's simple. Just click on your podcast app, type in our podcast name, The Weekly Juice, click on the reviews and let us know what you think. The more ratings we get, the more eyes we'll get on our show and in turn, we'll be able to provide you all with high quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod for daily content and personal finance tips to assist in your journey towards financial freedom. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode for you. Today we have on special guest, Karina Mejia. She is a 24-year-old real estate investor and realtor out of the greater Boston area. She has built a small but mighty portfolio of 12 units comprised of a triplex, a few duplexes, a few single family homes. She invests in Boston and also in Augusta, Georgia. Incredible story for a 24 year old. She has her head on straight and is absolutely grinding um, to put herself in a position of financial freedom at a very, very young age. Um, just an incredible episode overall. Yeah, it was a really good episode. She started out with two triplexes in the Boston area and she, she built up kind of some working capital and just some knowledge behind what she was doing. And then she decided to take her, her investing portfolio out of state uh, as she joined a mastermind, which is, we talk about masterminds in this episode, how it just kind of expands your mindset. And she was able to work up to 12 units. And we mentioned also in the episode that she kind of has a chip on her shoulder, just based on the fact that her, her parents are uh, immigrants from Colombia, And she just, she used that as fuel to, to kind of grind away and build this, like you said, small but mighty portfolio. It's pretty exciting stuff and she's got a lot to offer. Yeah. She mentioned that being that her parents are immigrants and she's the essentially like they didn't finish school or the, the highest level of education they had was fourth and fifth grade. And that's her chip on her shoulder to be to prove that she can provide them with the American dream. And she talked all about that. We just absolutely loved everything she's about and, and to do it at such a young age and that's to have, wild. to be so sharp between the ears and between the eyes. I don't know the, the quite the phrase for that, but yeah. It's, Both between the ears and the eyes. It's, it's crazy. It's, yeah. it's insane. Think about when we were back in 22 to 24, like what were we even thinking? Well, about? she mentioned in the beginning of the episode, she's like, yeah, when I was 22, I bought my first house hack. And I was like, if I knew, well, I didn't know what, how to put on my pants at 22 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just, so learning all of that at such a young age, she's, she's by the time she's 30, 35, it's just going to be a whole new ball game for her. Yeah, absolutely. If you need a little bit of motivation and just some push to, to know that you can do it and you can do it at a young age. And as long as you, you focus and you self-educate, but then take action. I think the, the coolest part was when she was talking in the episode is about, about like, Hey, I just like found an interest. And then, you know, I just decided to, to try it out. 
the try it out part was what worked out for her. So um, this episode is all about taking action. And if you are interested in investing in real estate, we this is certainly an episode for you, but we also, towards the end of the show, start talking a little bit about um, stocks and brokerage accounts, uh, cryptocurrency, and just a couple other ways you can invest too. So make sure you stay tuned to the end and uh, let's bring her in so you can enjoy the show. Let's do it. Hold on a second. I want to break something down here for some people who might be listening. So we often tell people like, you know, how did you run your numbers and what's the best way to, to crunch those numbers? And one of the things that we kind of fail to mention is that a really great way to actually run your numbers is using a tool that we use called Rentometer. And really what Rentometer does is it, it's, it's a data tracking system that pulls um, information that can easily find current rents and comps in your neighborhood for what one bedroom or two bedroom or three bedroom um, households will actually rent for. Because you can't go into and buy a property if you don't know what the typical rent is for like a property in your area that has one, two or three bedrooms. We absolutely love this tool. It helps you make data-driven decisions, right? You're not just guessing on, hey, I think this will, you know, on Cedar Street, it'll rent for... 500 bucks or 700 bucks or 1200 bucks. It's, you know, exactly it pinpoints the exact houses and neighborhoods that certain rents go for. And they have this cool little, it's almost like a speedometer, right? Yeah. That Q whether rentometer. Yeah, exactly. Whether it's like a low rent, a, a middle rent, like an average or a hot, or you're asking too much for rent in your specific area. And it's accurate. Cause you can pull up maps that are like right on the street that tells you like, Oh, this house here over, you said Cedar, this house on Cedar lane rents for $1,300 a month. And it's a two bedroom. You could probably ask 13, 14, maybe your house is a little bit nicer. You might be able to get 1500, but how do you know that information? If you don't have a tool like rentometer that breaks it all down for you? We swear by it. And this helped us on all of our deals. Every single one of Literally our deals. Literally everyone we use it. It's, it's a vital piece of our portfolio and our systems that we put together. So uh, I would check out rentometer.com and it should help you out um, for any deals that you're analyzing and, and getting your numbers right. Karina, officially welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are thrilled to have you on the show. We have heard a lot about you on social. We've We also received an application to be on the show and thought you were just your answers were incredible. So we're thrilled to have you on here. We know you're intertwined with a couple of our friends in the real estate community, which we'll touch on in the show. But if you could um, give a little background on yourself, who you are, where you're from, and then how you got into the real estate investing world. Yeah, definitely. So I'm Karina. I am um, 24 years old. I'm a real estate agent in Boston. And I kind of just walk you through, I guess, where I'm at till now. I graduated from college two years ago. And at that time, I took a job in commercial real estate as a valuation analyst. Um, at that time, I was also working part-time as a server, and I already had my real estate license. So basically, with those incomes, I was able to save up relatively quickly for my first house act. So um, at the fall of that year, I bought my first multifamily. It was three units, three and a half percent down. And I quickly, after that, realized that the corporate world was not for me. And I kind of just remember looking around the office and there was nobody I wanted to be like, and that was a huge red flag for me. So I thought, okay, well, I already have my license. Maybe I'll give this a um, shot. But at that time, I remember I didn't have any clients and I didn't really know if this was going to work out for me or not. Um, but I, it, I did. I had a pretty great year for my first time. I realized that um, I really enjoyed helping people kind of achieve their goals, buy real estate. Um, during that time, I bought a second house hack um, with my girlfriend. And uh, fast forward to now, um, I'm in my second year. I have had kind of exponential growth when it comes to sales. And I've definitely realized this is my calling. I mean, I have a true passion for it. And um, people enjoy working with me. So it works out. And um, Basically, with a much higher income than before, I um, was able to buy six units um, this year, and now we're at 12 doors, um, kind of where we're at now. Cool. Very cool story. I got to back back this up a little bit here because you came right out the gate mentioning that you were like buying a house hack at 22 years old, but I'm, I'm curious... Like, how did you even know about any of this? Like, no, we think because we're in the financial independence community and real estate that like everyone knows about this. <clears throat> and I was thinking the other day, it's probably like 
five to 10% of people like actually know what house hacking is and investing. And maybe it's a little bit higher, but at 22, I had no clue, like no, no idea. So how did this get into your, into your mind so young? Yeah. So I don't know at what time I think it was, but it was college. I like fell upon bigger pockets. I don't know how, um, but I was kind of hooked from there. I mean, the, uh, post and the podcast, I used to listen to a lot of them. And I think that because I started that very early on, it was the reason that I had like the mindset shift where I was like, I can quit. I, I should quit my job. That doesn't, you know, make me happy. I should invest in property as soon as I can, you know, and so forth. Cool. I, so I guess, uh, why do you think real estate specifically? Cause there's a lot of ways to invest and there's a lot of ways to, to kind of grow your money, but real estate specifically, I'm like, why do you feel like that's the best way for you at least to try to build generational wealth? So I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best way. Um, it's my favorite way. Um, I have recently been um, really hooked on everything personal finance. So I'm, I'm realizing that there may be a better avenues or you know, other avenues. For me, it made sense because it was something that I explored, realized I liked, and I, I would say I kind of like developed a passion. I wouldn't, um, I didn't, I wasn't born and I was like, oh, I love real estate. It was more so it sparked an interest. I tried it. And then I was like, oh, I love this. Um, and I just kind of followed that suit kind of route, I guess. I think it's cool. A lot of people will learn about something, right? And they, but it will take five, 10 years for them to actually do anything. If they do anything about it, it took you no time at all. Like you just like, action. Hey, I'm, I'm interested. And then boom, I'm buying my house hack. And then, you know, you immerse yourself into the community also into, um, you know, just the investment strategy in general, right? You're, you're not only investing in real estate, but you're, you're selling it too. So like synergy, right? Everything's moving in the same direction. I think that probably helps you scale, um, more exponentially than others. Uh, I want to also touch on your personal story too. You're, um, I know that you're super young, but you mentioned to us uh, before we got on the show that your parents are super influential and like kind of a part of your upbringing and, and make you such a go-getter. Can you touch on that for us? Yeah, definitely. So uh, my parents emigrated here from Colombia. They came here pretty young. Um, just some background on them. They were, grew up pretty poor. They um, basically went to school until fourth and fifth grade. So, I mean, they didn't even finish um, elementary school. So when they came here, it's just been hard work, hard work after hard work. And I definitely think that that grit is kind of been ingrained in me. Um, it, to, to do what I get to do, the lifestyle I get to live, make the money I get to make. You know, I mean, I have, you know, 12 doors, like all this stuff. Um, it is the definition of the American dream for them. Um, and it makes me super happy that I can do that for my father and my mother. Cause that's the reason they came here, you know? Yeah, I think it's pretty powerful. Ryan and I can't exactly relate on that level. Just being coming from that type of background where, you know, you have your parents, you're saying that they were really poor. They don't have a, a, a they were really poor and they didn't have this high education, but like honing in on that and getting after it, like it, you just must be really proud. I just think it's really cool. And it's kind of living proof that like anybody can do this, you know? And I think you're 24 years old, 12 doors. I mentioned it before the show. It's just like, it's, it's pretty miraculous. So I, I want to commend you for that. Yeah. I just a couple with that. We, we talk about, we've made a couple of posts on like different people's backgrounds and, and like setting level setting, right? Like you, and not everyone's on an even playing field in the world, right? Like people come from different backgrounds, people come from different situations. And I think it's, it's interesting. We always try to like pull the why from people and like figure out the motivation. There's so many people, like even people that I, I work with and, and you always want to find the motivation on why they do things. And and there's like chips on people's shoulders and other people don't have it. And then you find people that have had to work for things like their whole life or their whole life. Um, they tend to have like a specific grit about them. And then there's some people that I look at and they're, you know, they come from privilege and they might be a little bit lazier, but then there's also people that come from privilege and they're like, well, I've been given all this. I have to do something with it. So it's just super interesting to, to hear your background, hear your story in it. Cause it's, everyone's different and you wear it with like a badge of honor. I love it. So, uh, thanks for sharing that. I think it's super powerful stuff. Absolutely. So I want to kind of transition into you being a realtor, right? Cause that, that certainly benefits you in a specific way or some ways, right? Um, when you're investing in real estate, can you talk to those benefits? We have people that ask us a lot of times like, Hey, 
if I want to invest in real estate, do I need to start working in the real estate industry? Like a become a realtor or work in the service industry of real estate. There's a lot of different things. Like what are your thoughts there and, and how does it benefit you? Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't think that if you're going to be an investor, you have to get your license. Um, I mean, if you plan to buy 10 properties within the year, yeah, you could make it in, in your you know backyard, then sure. You can make an extra income on the buy side, but um, I don't, I don't think it's necessary for me. It, it has helped me insofar as just knowing how it all works from negotiations to contracts, um, uh, just in, the whole um, kind of terminology around it, it's helped me in that regard. But I don't really, it's weird, but I don't really see them tied to one another. My passion for investing is fueled by financial freedom and all of that. And my passion for real estate is fueled for helping other people and having a lifestyle where I'm kind of in control of, of my day to day. Very cool. I'm, I'm curious what value you feel like as a realtor that you bring, not just people who are buying homes, right? But I assume that you work with other investors as well. I'm curious because there's definitely some people that are probably listening that are in the Northeast, maybe in the Boston area. I'm curious, like maybe, yeah, I know you haven't been doing this for too long, but you're becoming really successful at it. So what, do you, what value do you feel like you bring as an investor-friendly realtor who happens to invest herself? I mean, I think it makes a world of a difference. Like it's just as simple as putting my money where my mouth is. Like if you're selling property and you truly believe that as an asset class, it's beneficial to your client, you should absolutely have it. Uh, but just having the knowledge that comes from running my own numbers, um, getting my own commercial loans, getting my own personal loans, like all types of experience that as an investor I've gotten and have helped me uh, be more knowledgeable to my buyers and my sellers um, that I otherwise probably wouldn't have had if I was just an agent. Cool. Thanks for sharing. I have one for you too. We, we've talked to a few <clears throat> real estate agents and they explain the process of, you know, how to become an agent, right? And you go, you go through the classes X, Y, Z, but I really would like to know, and I think our listeners would like to know, like, what's the day to day? Like you said, you set your own hours and you kind of make your own schedule, but I'm thinking of, okay, a typical person or the average, average person in the United States, you know, nine to five job, it might change a little bit now with COVID, right? Some people get some flexibility to work from home, but let's just think of like the two, three years ago, people, you wake up, you go on a commute and nine to five, you're in the office. Then you come home, probably get, probably get home around six, have dinner. And then, you know, the cycle repeats itself. And if you're not doing anything on the side, like building a side hustle, it, it can just kind of keep repeating itself. So can you share, that was long winded, but can you just share the, the day to day of what you, and like, maybe, maybe what your weekly schedule looks like and how it fluctuates? Yeah. So I wouldn't say that it's, uh, looks the same every week. Um, but I, it all depends on the season too. And if it's the springtime versus the fall, but I do have, I do have the flexibility to set appointments um, based on my own schedule. That being said, when you work with enough clients, um, you end up being pretty busy and you end up having to accommodate those clients. So um, it's not to say that I can absolutely just take every week off or every uh, weekend off or anything like that, but I have the flexibility to choose, okay, I'll take, this Monday off and I'll make all my appointments on this date. Um, and I, I love that I can wake up whenever I want, have a cup of coffee, whenever I want, I can grab lunch, drinks, everything, whenever, and with whomever I want, obviously within reason. Cool. Yeah. Can you drill that down even further? Like just maybe the tasks I'm trying to think of that was a great setup for the week, right? It, like yep. I love the flexibility, but what, what tasks and what things do you do as a realtor? I know that probably like every person thinks, oh, cool. They just go show houses. And then if the person wants to buy, they buy, but like there's specific marketing and lead generation. And there's a, there's a lot of things involved, right? So can yeah, you, like how are you getting people to, to be, to want to do business with you? Right? Exactly. How are you finding yeah. clients and like building that rapport and take us through the whole cycle. if you Yeah. Will. So you're also hitting the nail on um, something that I should be doing more of. Um, and, and that's like lead generation, like cold calling, things like that. But essentially I, I do mark, I do get most of my leads essentially from half marketing, half referrals. And a lot of it does come from social media and showing people that my clients are very satisfied and that I know what I'm doing and that I do it well. Um, but, um, apart from that, there's, there is a lot of, um, paperwork and kind of business, 
planning that happens on the back end in order to be successful. And those are things that I'm still working on. Like I'm still working on how I can schedule my time better or who I can hire um, and how I can build a team, things like that. Cool. Well, I think we could probably transition because we're now we're, we learned how you kind of make your active income, which we could call your selling homes and you make commission off that every time there's a, a sale or, or a buy, uh, which fuels your investments. And we really want to get into your investments talking about 12 doors at, uh, at your age, which is pretty cool. It sounds like the first two of them were two house hacks in, in the Boston area. And I'm curious, house hacking is awesome and we can touch on that, but I'm really curious on the, the move that you made in terms of where you're investing now. Uh, I know you're investing in Augusta, Georgia, and you bought I think you said six doors there. Can you talk a little bit about the decision that you made to transition from buying in uh, a market like Boston to a market like Augusta, Georgia, and just your whole thought process as you went through that? Yeah. So when I first house hacked um, in this area, it made sense because I could use owner occupant financing, which allows me to put down um, smaller amounts of capital. But um, obviously, we are in a uh, more expensive market um, than other areas in the U.S. So it just didn't make sense for me personally um, to invest in mass. I also um, was just not going to get that my highest return, um, you know, for my money. It made more sense to go out of state to uh, hit higher numbers and uh, be in a landlord. Uh, friendly state versus tenant, you know, basically get all of the benefits um, that you can get when investing out of state. And essentially what kind of gave me that courage was that I'm a part of this mastermind. It's called Rat Race Defy. It's led by Felipe Mejia and Diego Corso, which I know you guys are friendly with. Um, Through that mastermind, I basically met investors all over the U.S., who are all doing their own thing. And I met a property manager who's an investor who's killing it um, in Augusta, Georgia. And it was really that personal connection um, and referral that allowed me to have the confidence to invest in a market that I've never been in. If you were just not paying attention to anything that happened in this episode and you just happened to hear the last two sentences, if that's not an advocate, like advocation, I don't even know if that's a word, for a mastermind, you just doubled your portfolio by being involved and being around people who do this all the time for, um, and they help service other people. And I bet, I bet to correct me if I'm wrong, that you probably didn't even think that you can invest out of state. Not like, like, you know, that it's possible, but for us, we're like a little hesitant to invest 2000 miles away, but for you to be able to do that and be around people that are thinking that way all the time, probably opened up an entirely new world for you. Yeah. And you, you just hit on basically two things that I would like to touch on. One is I feel like a lot of inaction is when you don't have the confidence or knowledge to, to act. Right. So by kind of plugging into the network of somebody else, I felt that I had the confidence to kind of buy in that area. But second fold, I would say my biggest benefit of being in this mastermind hasn't even been the doors that I got, but the mindset shift, like I, the things that I can do that the things that I think I can do with my life now, I never thought before, like the confidence I have in myself to like, just build this amazing life. I never had, if I hadn't met those type of people. Awesome. Yeah. And I, we talked to the first person who we talked to about masterminds was Steve Rosenberg. And he was the one who kind of set us on the path of like, okay, you guys have to you have to get involved in this and not even just a mastermind, but we're finding out that people that we're meeting through the podcast are meeting, are introducing us to other people who are helping us get involved in different business ventures. So the, just the networking slash mastermind in general, I mean, it's already starting to change the way that we do business and change our, our lives, so to speak. So I know we always say network is your net worth, but like it's, it's never been more evident in our lives, seeing the people that we're meeting, having great conversations with somebody like you, who's, you know, a couple hundred miles away and we wouldn't have otherwise been able to do that without the power of networking. Connections are key to everything. Like have you ever been in a bind and you're just like, you got out of it due to a relationship or like you overcame an obstacle because of a relationship and you're like, you have someone to lean on. If you're doing things by yourself that you, 
when something happens, you can't, you can't fend for yourself always. And you get scared that way. And then you might shut down even mm-hmm. because you're like, I don't have anybody to lean on to help me. So you yeah, go ahead. Exactly. I just think that like abundance mindset and, and surrounding yourself with the right people and, and people that have seen success before you, like it, they're going to elevate you to their level. And we, we always talk about this and, and I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I think it really is important to, to showcase your mastermind. Like you, you went down to a place that you literally had nothing you've never even been there and you didn't yeah, even know that <laughs> the masters was in augusta and now you can potentially use one of your properties as a house uh, excuse me and uh, an airbnb um or a vacation rental during the time that it's not uh, listed as a full-term rental or a long-term rental so i just think it's amazing to, to put yourself in the correct position or the right position and like you said you had the confidence to jump in not only could because of your background and in, in, i guess education and, and resources that you know about real estate and like that you feel confident in the, in the asset class, but that someone else has seen so much success down there. You're like, all right, yeah, I'll jump in. No problem. I like, I'm curious though on this, like, did you run the, like run the numbers on these properties or did you kind of like go back and forth with the property manager? How did that whole thing work to like find the specific properties? And you're like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm comfortable with these numbers. Yeah, no, I, I definitely run my own numbers, but I get a lot of help from them. Right. So does this rent make sense or is this in a good area? Because I've never been, you know, street over might be a completely different location. Um, but it's actually interesting how um, a couple of these came about because they basically, uh, so a couple of these were off market. So they were, I would have never even found that these if it wasn't because I didn't network with these individuals. Um, and they basically just had a deal and they presented it to the mastermind because they said, you know, I'd rather come to you guys first and then, then go to somebody else. And so that gave me the opportunity to buy a couple of those off market. Um, but yes, always run your numbers on every property. <laughs> yeah. C- could you actually like dive in a little bit on this, on these properties that you bought there and how the numbers maybe kind of what they look like, maybe what it rents for or the purchase price, if you feel comfortable. I'm just curious because it's very, oftentimes very different from some of the properties that we're looking at here. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, over there, I would say you're looking at it for, for at least the ones that I've bought so far for a single family, you're in the 130 to 150 range for a duplex, you're hitting the 200 plus range. Um, and so forth. I've only bought those two, um, property types. Um, so that's what I focus on, but, uh, compared to a market like us, you're, you could buy a single family for the, you know, 800,000. So it's, it's definitely very different, um, rates. What are the, not to cut you off, what do the rents look like down there? And, and what are your cash flow numbers? Yeah. So rents always, all of my properties have hit the 1% rule plus, and that allows me to cash flow really well. Um, that being said, um, financing always plays a big role in this, right? So I, I was not able to get conventional 30 year loans because I transitioned out of a W2 into a self-employed role. Um, but I was, um, still able to buy, get commercial loans. Unfortunately, that's on a 20 year amortization rate as opposed to 30 years, but they're still cash flowing. And I know that once I am bankable again, I can refinance them into 30 year loans and increase my cash flow. And even still, they, they do cash flow. Karina, that's huge to mention because there's a lot of people who are thinking about quitting their W-2 job, right? And sometimes the banks just don't care. Like you could be making $700,000 a year yeah. being a realtor and they just don't look at it as secure income. And for whatever reason, I, I don't know why it is that way, but like you can make a hundred grand a year as a W-2 job and you're more bankable in air quotes to the bank than if you're self-employed. So I think it's really important to note, but you didn't stop and say, oh, well, I guess, you know, I don't have a W-2 job. I, I can't get these residential loans. Like, I guess I'm not going to be able to purchase this. 20-year, the rates uh, on commercial are a little bit higher. I know that, but it's still 20 years. And then with the appreciation, knock on wood, that you're seeing in some of these markets, you will be able to refi. And it's like, just like getting into a house hack, where if you house hack, you put three and a half percent down. It's not like you can't go and rent that property out after six months or a year, right? It's the same sort yeah. of transition. And something, and like, I know these are good deals. Like if they're cash flowing with 20 year loans and higher interest rates, I know that if I can get the financing to be more aligned with what I want it to be, they're just going to be even better deals. But fundamentally, I know that the cash flow isn't less just because this property sucks. It's less because I got a loan on it on less, less um, amortization rate. Cool. Now, well, now that we're touching on your properties, can you 
pick a specific property, whether it's your favorite property or the most lucrative deal, and just walk us through all the numbers, like what type of property yeah. it is, where it's located, um, purchase price, what's it rent for, cash flow, and then kind of how you figured out, oh, this is going to be a good deal, and like I want to, I want to replicate this. Yeah. So I think I'll talk about my first. Um, it was the one that was like, okay, this works and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Um, but so essentially I always ran the numbers as if I wasn't going to live there because that was my plan, um, you know, in the future. Um, and so I bought a three unit for 560. Um, the total um, rent roll is 5,200. And the mortgage on that is about three thousand three hundred. Um, so it's I net two thousand fifty gross, and then sorry, I grossed two thousand fifty, and then I net after expenses about sixteen hundred. Divide that by three doors. Um, I don't know how much that's like five hundred something per door. Yeah, door, roughly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah. So I guess those those are the numbers. The I, yeah. No, thanks for sharing. I think that's that's people get scared of high purchase prices, right? And I think, I forget who taught us this, who came on the episode and they're saying, it might've been your your neighbors up there, um, Nick and Sam, Riccio, yeah, yeah, um, Eagle Hill Homes. And because um, they're in the Boston area and they they were able to obtain three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 in appreciation just by owning an asset that of the purchase price was 600 grand and it grew to over a million dollars. So I think there's a fear that sets in about higher purchase prices when in, in reality, it's actually safer if you really think about it because it's more desirable. More people are always going to want to go to that asset class as opposed to buying a $100,000 property where it might be in a, a crappier area and people don't want to rent it. So you hit the 1% rule, even in an area like, like, um, um, Boston, which is a high, yeah. you know, um, expensive market. And then to be able to cash flow the way that you do, I'm not, you know, yeah. I, I've only been doing this for a little while, but I, I bet your property has appreciated significantly even since it, you bought it. It's I, so I bought in late November, uh, 2019 and I already have a hundred thousand in equity. And just because of the market and it's only going to continue to grow. But uh, the way I see it in terms of buying an asset that is priced um, much higher than others is, is it, that it's a benefit, right? Because you have tenants paying down an asset that is much closer to a million dollars than a hundred thousand. Like, great. Somebody's paying down one of my $100,000 houses. That's great. But when all is said and done in 30 years and this house is completely paid off, it's going to be around 800,000 and the tenants paid that, not me. They, they covered the PMI. That's when, when people always, this is going into a different topic, but when people are scared of using owner occupant loans because of the PMI um, and, and they're planning on doing a multifamily and all that, um, the way I think about it is like, I don't really care if my numbers still make sense and it's somebody else paying it down, you know? Yeah. And it also goes away after, if, if you do refi. Not with after. an FHA. Oh, FHA. Um, uh, no, yeah. With FHA, it stays on for the life of the loan. It changed after 2013 when after everything happened, they changed the regulation oh. on that. But you oh. can refinance from an FHA into a conventional to take away the PMI. Got it. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, was this property something that you had to put work into or was 500 and I maybe 560? Was that, was that move-in ready? So it was basically move-in ready, but I, bas I didn't bring... I tied in my closing costs into the loan so that I could keep the capital in my um, bank account to update the units a little bit. And I'm talking about like 10 grand. I had the, the funds, but I wanted to use it to upgrade the um, property. Karina, one of the things that we just learned, I learned this the hard way. Uh, the first property I bought, the first duplex I bought, I thought that it was in pretty good condition and I didn't put any money into it. Um, and our, one of our most recent single families that we bought, we pretty much flipped the whole thing. There's a couple systems that we didn't do, but we pretty much flipped the whole thing and knock on wood. It just has, just, you know, it doesn't have a lot of maintenance, like minimal maintenance because we did a lot of the work. I probably had $10,000 worth of maintenance in my duplex that I didn't put any work into upfront just because I was new and young and didn't know any different. So I think it's important to, even if you can do those minimal updates and get the property to a level where you're not gonna have things breaking all the time, uh, it's it's good to have it come out upfront so that you can have a little peace of mind as you manage the, the property. But um, 
Cool. Right. Did you have something here? Yeah. Yeah. So outside of real estate, I know we, we've talked heavy on this topic, but I know you invest in a few other things as well. Can you explain to listeners what else you invest in? Because I know there's so many things out there from stocks, crypto, NFTs, like there's a whole, whole world out there. So what did you pick outside and why? Yeah. I haven't bought my first NFT yet. I was really close. I was like, oh, let me study this a little more. But um, I have started focusing a lot more on my brokerage account. It's something that before this year, I really didn't um, pay mind to because I was so real estate focused. And I was like, oh, I don't know about stocks. I don't know about that. And it's completely false. <laughs> it's actually much more easy to understand than I, than I thought. And I told you guys um, earlier in the show that I've been falling really heavily into personal finance and all things um, related to that. So my goal is to build up my brokerage account by next year. Um, so I'm focusing on that. And then on the, I also um, started an e-commerce store this year. Um, so it's just another way of having passive income and kind of diversifying, you know, well, cash flow. Let's hear about the e-commerce store because we actually bought one too, but we haven't told anybody. <laughs> So, oh, what did you guys buy? It's, well, it's, uh, we're, it's not we're really an e-commerce store. It's not e-commerce. It's YouTube automation. So it's it's something oh, okay. that something that's I guess it's it's outside the realm. I mean, it's yeah, yeah it's just like um, internet revenue. If you yeah, will. exactly. Oh, okay, but okay. tell us about your e-commerce store. We'll uh, we'll wait yeah. to talk about ours once hopefully it works out. <laughs> yeah. So it's an Amazon store. Um, essentially, we drop ship items from Home Depot onto the. Amazon store and I have a VA. So I, so it's fully automized. I don't um, really have to think about it. I just pay a VA to do um, the, you know, day-to-day -day stuff. And at the end of the month, I get the profit after all expenses. Um, so far, um, like last month, we hit 1,200 in profit. And this month will probably be like 1,500 in profit. It's just an extra, um, extra to add to my passive income, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. I, I, um, there's, we're, we're learning a little bit more about this and, and there's, you know, some people that will say kind of stay in your lane and, and do what you know, but then there's also ways to diversify your portfolio and diversify your income where how many people have told us like, you know, millionaires or people that are wealthy, there's, they have eight, 10, 12 streams of income. So I think it's good to not put all your eggs in one basket, i.e. real estate, but, but to have something that you focus in and then also maybe money that you might be willing to lose. Cause that's what we look at. Some of these investments as is like they're calculated, but you don't really know what's going to happen unless you do like tons and tons of research. So we think it's great to diversify. I think that's um, it's, it's a good plan, especially with everything going digital. These yeah, days. you have to, you don't know what's going to shake out. Something's going to be good. Something's going to be a winner. Something's going to be a loser. And you want to have obviously more winners than losers, but I think you're doing it the right way. It's like, cool. You have your real estate, then you have your brokerage, then you have your Amazon store. And I'm sure you might, Hey, maybe you'll get into the, the NFT space here too, but <laughs> just thinking it's cool to, you're so young to even have this conversation on like on such a, a deep level too, at your 20, 24, like that's pretty insane um, that you're so knowledgeable on a lot of things, but if you can get that stock portfolio or your brokerage to over, I think you said you want over a hundred thousand next year. That's your goal. Yeah. That and it's totally doable to, for me financially. Yeah. And, that, and that's just going to compound on top of itself so quickly. And it, you know, you're going to, then you can use your 1500 bucks, like keep pumping it into that, into your brokerage for now, but then you can move it to something else. Right. And then more real estate and your whole cycle here, just everything's a bucket that, that fuels into the next bucket and it just creates a nice little machine here. So I think you're doing the right thing. It's, it's super interesting. Yeah. And one of the things that I, we, I was thinking about today actually, where you know, sometimes your kind of your tolerance for risk changes and certain, some of the asset classes that you move into, you end up shifting them just based on where you are in life. And, and I was thinking about us building our real estate portfolio. If we get to a point where, you know, let's say you have 20, 25 doors and you have five of them that you want to sell off and maybe each of us take a chunk of change, three, four, $500,000. And you could just sit that in a brokerage account, something like that, where then you're really diversified and you've put $500,000 in a brokerage account. I mean, and you just let that thing do its thing. If you're in the right mm -hmm. ETFs and it's, it's kind of humming at eight, nine, 10%. And you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars a year that you're making passively. So very, very cool. I'm curious what your maybe like your future goals are for your real estate portfolio. You talked a little bit about your brokerage, but like what's next for you in terms of, are you going to continue to buy homes in Augusta or just give us a little detail there? Yeah. Um, I've definitely 
been thinking about how I want to scale. Um, and I don't think I'm going to be doing that with, you know, your single family homes in these markets. Um, so it's, I'm really trying to move into like your smaller multifamily, like maybe eight to 10 units. Um, like I would love to see my, that double next year. Right. So if I have 12, 24, at least, um, and getting that, getting there, not just through a couple here and there, but just maybe one, uh, multifamily and learning that space and then growing into it. Um, that's kind of where I see real estate investing going. And then within, this is more like a five-year plan for, uh, my real estate career, but I want to build a business. Like I don't, I have it clear that I don't, I love what I do. I love this role, but I want to build a business that I can hopefully one day walk away from if I want to and have it still produce income. So it's kind of like, you know, building that those systems, um, hiring a team and kind of working to have that, um, as well. How would you suggest maybe somebody who's a couple steps behind you get started in real estate investing or just investing in general? And I'll preface the question by saying we've been living proof and we've say this all the time. It actually gets so much easier once you do it. Like it's the hard starting is the hardest part. You bought a triplex, you bought another triplex, you're able to parlay that into doubling the amount of units that you have. What advice would you give to someone who's just trying to, who's just starting out, who's looking to get their feet wet? And, and maybe what would you tell them as they embark on that journey? Yeah. I mean, I would say network, right? I know you, I know we harp on that idea, but I do, do think it's very valuable um, and educate edu education, basically kind of honing in on your own skills, finding out what your competitive advantage is, but, um, also just, just taking action, right? Like I didn't know that I was going to have a client when I jumped into real estate and then that client closed the deal and then referred me to somebody else. And then that other other person referred me to somebody else. And so it just snowballs after that. And it's also like that in kind of the investing world. Like you, you make a deal with somebody, they know you're, you're able to close, they come to you next. Like it all just starts building on, a, on one and, and um, kind of one another. And yeah, just take action. I would say small steps do matter. I really cool. like it. Yeah. Very cool. What do you think, Ryan? Do you want to move into the core four here? Let's do it. Cool. So we're at the part of our show where we kind of get to know you a little bit more personally and maybe what, what makes you tick and, and kind of why you do what you do, especially at, at, you know, at your age where a lot of people are not even thinking about this stuff. So, um, I would say the first question is what is your favorite real estate investing or investing your general or business book? Yeah. Um, I would say e the E-Myth. Um, I, I read the one specifically, um, for real estate agents. I don't know if you guys have read that book. Uh, for, is it real estate for agents? Really? I haven't read No, that. no. Um, it's the E-Myth, but then they have different versions. And then I read one that, um, was specific for real estate agents. Oh no, I haven't, cool. I haven't heard. Of that. I read the real estate hey. systems one. There's like a, it's like the gold it says, I think it's like creating a real estate business. That's Michael Gerber, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 It's basically about building systems and it's kind of what has changed my mindset from like working my day to day to wanting to build a business around it. Love it. It's a great share. Um, second question of the core four is what has been your biggest mistake that you've made along your investing journey and how have you learned from it and overcome it? Um, I would say, um, Bit, renting to a tenant that wasn't really qualified. And I think I had the interpersonal get too much in the way. Like I, I, they seem like a nice person. Um, you know, they didn't send me their, their, their pay stubs when I asked for them, but I was like, Oh, it's probably okay. Um, and I learned my lesson via that. Um, I basically had to give her cash for keys. She, she left. Um, and then I got a great tenant after that, but I, it will make sure that I screen my tenants just as much as I would do so for another, um, you know, client. So, yeah. yeah, it's tough because it's something that is preached all the time, but once you're in the moment, you kind of, it's easy to let up on those things. And I had inherited tenants on one of my properties when I first bought them. And, um, we've actually hopefully turned a corner with one of them, but it's tough. You have to, you have to really think of it like a business and not just uh, do the nice thing all the time. And that's yeah. tough to do for, for <laughs> nice people, especially. So, yeah. um, yeah. So the third question in the core four is if you had a lump sum, not like 
income coming in, but just one lump sum of, of let's say $50,000, um, knowing what you know now about the investing world and just in general, what would you do with it specifically and, and why? Um, I think right now, this answer could change if you ask me tomorrow, but if you ask me like today, um, I would probably hold on to it um, until there's like a pullback in the crypto world and invest it in, in that. Cool. cool. Can you elaborate on that just a little yeah. bit? Yeah. So like, I have a little bit of yeah. um, holdings in uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, but um, I, when, when we just had the recent pullback, I knew that it was a great time to buy. I just didn't necessarily have the capital to do so for that. Um, and now I have FOMO, right? I'm like, I should have done it then. But I, I, the more I learn about the crypto world and, you know, metaverse and all that, um, the more I believe in investing in it basically. So I, I want to make sure that I do get into it. Um, and that's probably how I would. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm all in on that too. I like it. Yeah. Uh, the when Bitcoin dropped down to 35, I think it was. I was like, oh yeah, I should probably buy some. Yeah, didn't do shit, so that's good. Um, <laughs> but whatever. Well, it's, I think a lot of people feel the same way. But it's funny. It's a lot of educated people like yourself that we talk to. It's like they buy the big two, right? They go Bitcoin, they go Ethereum, then they're they're gonna dabble in the metaverse and they understand the future is moving that way and you know, yeah. maybe play around with an NFT or two. I'm, I'm like you, I was thinking about, I'm like almost there. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, all right, I'm going to wait a little bit. And you still yeah, find the right yeah. one. There's a lot of such a cool thing to talk about. I think we should probably have someone on the show. That's like super into that world because yeah. there is something to it. It's, it's super cool. And Matt, we're investors in general, right? Like you, we just happen to pick real estate like you and yeah. there's other things out there and we're super into the financial independence movement, but like personal finance and investing. So, so many things pop up and you're like, wow, like, all right. I like investing. Like it doesn't mean I have to stick with just real estate. So yeah. cool that you brought it up. Love that. Um, last question for you is a little bit of a thinker, but it, it kind of ties in with your why, right? So it's, the question is, what do you want your legacy to be? Like, why do you get up out of bed every day and do what you do? And what are you hoping to leave in the world? Yeah, I think that's a loaded question. And one I probably have to put a little more thought into it than I have in the past, but, um, I don't know. I just, I really want to like at the end of my life, look back and know that I did, you know, everything I could to be the best version of myself and, and that I was able to help other people do the same. Like I, I would love to be an awesome agent one day and, and teach other people how to be awesome agents and change lives that way. You know, just yeah. as an example. Well, you totally are. I mean, especially when people, you know, working with investors is one thing, but there's a lot of a, an emotional piece of buying a property for people that just want to live there that they're that they use as their primary residence. And I've seen the looks on people's faces just from being around the business of when they purchase a home that they want, that they love, and they want to live in. And people like you helping those transactions happen. So I think that's um, just by being an agent alone and being a good one, you're working. Your I want life. everybody to be an investor. Like I'm a big believer in financial freedom and and doing that. And so I preach it to all my clients and my, my goal is that they are influenced to kind of take on that. I, I think people don't realize how attainable it is for people like me and you, like they think that, Oh, somebody else, you know, can do it, but not, not me. And I don't think that's true. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the whole mindset behind it too. And, and we, that's kind of why we started the podcast is just to spread the wealth and the, the knowledge of that. This is possible for your quote unquote everyday person. And, and it really is that some people just won't jump in because they're consumed in fear. And hopefully we can break down that barrier, that barrier a little bit for those people. And, but also some people just won't do it just because they won't do it. And that's what makes some people, unfortunately, some people win and some people not, yeah. but I think that that's just part of life. A lot of people just love fighting the system and like, just like making excuses. There's, I just think of this, we, we have this post that we, we put out and it, it talks about if you have a hundred thousand dollars invested in, in the, in your brokerage, right. By before 35, um, compounds at 8% by 65, you'll be a millionaire, depending what you're, you know, invested in. And people always hit, not always, but there's the trolls that jump in We're and they're like, haters now. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. But they're <laughs> it's like, funny. they're like, Oh yeah, that, that, uh, that million bucks isn't going to be worth shit. And, and, but when time you're 65, I'm like, dude, the point is to invest. Like it's, this is a specific example. It's like, who wouldn't want an extra million bucks in their pocket? Like this guy's not going to have a million bucks in his pocket. And when he's 65, I swear to God, if he's fighting us this hard on it now, but like, it's just funny that no matter what, there's always going to be people that are like, just, they can't wrap their head around it and they don't want to, and they just want to fight the system and say something. But, yeah. um, it's, that's, it's we're going to have to get used to that. That's in every, it's in everything you do. It's just like a, a quick one. I want people to like be aware of. It's not all like, 
roses and daisies, but it's like surrounding yourself with the right people that are optimistic and see the world a certain way. I think that just, you want to have those people on your side. So absolutely. Couldn't have said any better. I think we made it to the last drop. So I was like, with the, like, we I was did, like we leaving did. time I'll for the it. cup sound, <laughs> even though it just gets cut. That's <laughs> great. It's great. So with the last drop, last time in the show, basic question for you, but knowing what you know now, if you could go back to young Karina, I mean, Hey, you're already 24. So I don't really know how far back you could turn the clock. But 15. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. If you could go back, would you tell your six years, year old self? Yeah. Your four year old self, what would you say? But uh, going back to like before the switch flipped, right. The investing switch, what would you go back and tell yourself then like knowing what you know now? Honestly, like you guys mentioned, there's not, it, it wasn't that long ago. So there isn't like a, you know, one big thing. Um, I probably would have started investing in, into the stock market sooner, learning about it sooner, um, like everybody else. But um, I also would have gotten out more, would have, would have put a stronger effort on networking. Like I, I truly, truly believe that's like made all the world of a difference and I would have done it sooner. Couldn't agree more. That's a great answer. Yeah. I think it's hard to do. It's it's part of, it's like, it's hard to get into that, into that world before you're ready to. Cause like, there's yeah. almost like a, an emotional maturity that comes with being able to be confident enough to tell your story to other people. Um, so I think that's a great answer. And, you know, as soon as hopefully there's 17, 18, 19 year olds listening to the podcast now that, that will make that switch now, because if we would have been starting, if we would have started invested and we were 18, 19, 20, I mean, I don't even but know. But here's the thing, like with that, there's such an imposter syndrome when you're 17, 18, you're like, dude, what can I offer this person that this millionaire? Like and most what? of the time you can't offer much. No. So just live your life. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's like, you just want to surround yourself with those people and like uh, try do things for free. Like go, go to open houses, do X, Y, Z, whether, and then there's so many things you can do digitally now too, whether it's like writing their posts or helping them with social, yep. like there's just so many different benefits that you could potentially do. So if you are a young buck here listening to this it's like don't get afraid that you're not worth something like just try your hardest to surround yourself with as many people because someone's gonna like you and take to you and be like hey let me you know what i want to show this kid the ropes for whatever reason it's just it's happened to us yep we're like wow all right like i don't know why this guy wants i don't yeah i don't know the impression we made but it worked right it worked so um it's it's just good stuff to talk about and and networking is is huge right it's we talked about relationships and people uplifting people that's truly what the world is about and like we're willing to do it for other people and that's why, and other people are willing to do it for us. So you want to pay, pay it forward and give it back. So, um, I think we all understand that. Yeah. So if, uh, let's say Karina, people really took to your message, they want to learn about real estate investing or your story, or they're in the Boston area, maybe they want to purchase a, a property. Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, learn more about your story yeah, I would say it's probably Instagram. Um, and the handle on that is Karina underscore Mejia with two A's at the end. Cool. That's about Great. it. <laughs> we'll make sure to tag in, in upcoming posts. And for everyone listening, um, if you want to connect with Karina or you're up in the Boston area looking to purchase a, a property or an investment property, make sure to check out her page. She has some awesome photos. I, you've done some walkthroughs on properties. Beautiful aesthetics. I'll say that. Like, it looks great. So I love what you're doing, but you can find her on Instagram. We'll make sure to tag her and everything. And her uh, handle will be in the show notes as well. And let us know if you need the introduction. Happy to do it. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for coming on and uh, keep doing your thing because clearly it's, it's working. Oh, thank you guys for having me.